This is the Annex, a sociology podcast. I'm Joseph Cohen from the City University of New York. Today, the pressure to go partisan. Our panelists are Michelle Silver from the University of Toronto and Gabriel Rossman from UCLA. This episode was originally released on May 1st, 2019. So I saw word of a great journal article in Cognition. I saw it through the Heterodox Academy newsletter, and it was a pretty good article. It was written by a team led by Joseph Marks, who works at an experimental uh, psych lab in the University College in London. And the paper, which is called Epistemic Spillovers, Learning Others' Political Views, Reduces the Ability to Assess and Use Their Expertise in Non-Political Domains. It's not a very appealing title, but here, here it is. The study was an experiment on 97 Amazon Turks. So, okay, sample issues aside, this is psych. And what they did was first they gave people a political attitudes test, them and what looked like three other participants. But the other three participants, it was taking place through a computer. And basically what they did was they engineered it so that one of the participants expressed the same political views as the subject. And then they had another participant who gave neutral views and one who gave opposing political views. So it's like, imagine uh, they put a Democrat in a virtual room with a, a Democrat, an independent, and a Republican. And then they put them to a task, which was basically, it looked like it was a skill, uh, geometry skill test, but it was uh, the answers were random. And what they found was that uh, respondents would look to politically like-minded people for uh, advice on how to complete this operation. It was, and, and the idea is, is that uh, the idea that came through was that we tend to tr- respondents at least trusted others based on political views, even when these views didn't speak to competence in a practical task. And in fact, when they changed up the experiment to make it look like people who shared your views were less reliable sources of information, people still judged co-partisans to be more effective. Uh, even when they weren't objectively so. And it's an interesting finding. It means that we defer to others based on political leanings, even if the leanings have nothing to do with the topic at hand, and even in the face of uh, of suggestions that people who share our views are wrong. And I thought it was interesting because it suggests that, like, you know, one of the keys to being a popular scholar is to articulate a hard partisan view. And you'll get a following that will listen to you on just about any other issue, regardless of how much you know about the topic. It's like, how did Noam Chomsky write 30 books on unrelated topics? Well, that might be the way. So that was the study. And I thought about it. Like, do you think that that maybe that's the trap in public scholarship and this whole tension between being political and not political is like, if you want to take a public scholarship route, then the best way to build up an audience is to become a partisan. Well, let's let's talk about the article itself first, and then okay. uh, move on to the uh, implications. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so uh, I mean, in a way, what it's finding isn't surprising, right? We've known about um, confirmation bias for a long time, and we've also known, you know, there's been a growing literature for like the last five, ten years. Uh, much of it by Shanto Iyengar, who is at the aforementioned Stanford, you know, showing that. Um, partisanship is an increasingly important heuristic mm-hmm. and that people consider partisanship to be incredibly salient part of identity. And there's uh, a lot of ostracism and social closure and that sort of thing by partisanship. 
Yes. Um, and, you know, they've repeated, uh, replicated the kind of classic social distance measures. So, you know, you're feeling thermometer on a scale of zero to 100. How do you feel about this group of people? And and also um, they, they did, uh, you know, how would you feel if your daughter brought one home type questions? Mm-hmm. Like how, how would, if your daughter brought a Republican home? Yes. And they found that, um, you know, in both America and the UK, uh, there's extremely high levels of social distance uh, between the parties. If I remember correctly, the biggest effect is that uh, labor people in the UK really hate Tories. Uh-huh. Um, and and so that's somewhat asymmetrical and that uh, labor hates Tories more than the other way around. Hmm. I don't remember if it's asymmetrical in the United States. It doesn't really matter. So, you know, you see that level of social distance and ostracism and uh, all that sort of thing. And then, uh, and it's much higher than what you see for race, where, you know, the traditional dimension of outgroup is white, black. Mm-hmm. Um, but in contemporary survey data, and this is new, right? Mm-hmm. It used to be that you would see people uh, give relatively high, you know, low therm feeling thermometers to blacks if they were white and, um, you know, relatively high responses to, I would be upset if my daughter brought uh, a person of that group home Mm -hmm. um, for blacks and whites and the other way around, I believe. I'm not positive about that though, but people don't really say that anymore. And you could say that's social desirability bias and that we know that, you know, whatever our instincts are, we're not allowed to give those types of objections, right? You're not Mm -hmm. allowed to have uh, high social distance by race. Whereas you are allowed to have high social distance by partisanship, and yes. it doesn't necessarily mean that that's how people feel. But they also did economic games, and they showed that um, P- what's the name of that game where you know you're each given a dollar and you can put it in the pot, and then the experimenter doubles however much is in the pot, and then you split it. Oh, uh, you mean like that prisoner's dilemma? And what's the yeah, game? Yeah, it's kind of like a prisoner's betray- if you cooperate, you'll get more, but you'll really get more if you betray your the other subject. No, no, no. this one is not. Uh, I don't think that there's an element of trust in this one. Right. I think this is one where it's on the table. Anyway, one of these economic games where the the highest joint payout is to cooperate, mm-hmm. um, and they found that people were actually pretty likely to cooperate with someone of the racial outgroup, um, but not somebody of the political outgroup. Huh. So you know that's an express preference. Right. And so you'd expect social desirability bias to be, you know, uh, less important for that. And so that finding implies that it may actually be, you know, you know, as important of a a dimension of uh, social distance. Right. But, you know, if you capitalize on this mechanism, like really what you're doing is you're capitalizing on a glitch in in reasoning. Right. Like if you're a scholar Mm -hmm. and your your play is to sort of win, attract you know, interest or increase your platform by becoming generically hard partisan. Well, it suggests that that's a winning strategy. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you'll you'll get people to like you. And is that is that a problem? Like, is that a problem in the public public scholarship game? Is that something we should be talking about, or that it's an easy path and and maybe a temptation to 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 win win followings through bad thinking through you know bad reasoning. Well, we've known for uh, – so, you know, I, I'm pretty sure there's older – I can give you the citation, but I, I'm pretty sure I've seen older findings where when people you, – you do an ex, a vignette experiment where you show people a, an argument that is conducive to their political beliefs. So say something like, does the minimum wage increase unemployment or not? And then you ask them what, in a sense, are technical questions, like what's the sample size adequate? Right. And, you know, people will – 
basically give you answers that in theory should be unrelated, right? I mean, so sample size of 1,000 should be big enough or not big enough, regardless of whether you like the direction of the coefficient. Right. But people will give you answers that are basically driven by their um, political beliefs. Right. Um, and that's a relatively old finding. Uh, it, that's older than the Ian Garn Westwood article. But, but I get what you're saying. You're transitioning to this issue of like, how do people milk it? Yeah, I mean, there's a, this is this what this one shows is that on unrelated issues, like there's motivated reasoning when, like, let's say I'm against taxes, so I'll look for a Republican because I don't want taxes because I trust that somewhere in that Republican's worldview is there's something consistent with mine. There's like a it's like a heuristic. Mm-hmm. Whereas what this is showing is it's unrelated. So, like, let's say I know my doctor's a Republican, but like he. You know, my doctor talks to me about cholesterol problems, which isn't a partisan issue. Mm-hmm. I might be more likely to distrust the doctor and trust a co-partisan, even if the co-partisan is not as qualified to comment on cholesterol, for example. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a very interesting finding that I was I was uh, you know it's it, it's an interesting finding because it points the path towards an easy way to to do this business. You know, it's like a glitch in human reasoning that we can capitalize on. And it's like, is there a danger to that or not? Well, it's it's like all advertising, right? Like, that's why we pay people so much, you know, celebrities so much money to endorse products, right? Because if you can appeal to people seem trustworthy, mm. um, you know, because you're a um, influencer, or you're whatever, a movie star, then, you know, I'm going to really trust your advice on buying this consumer product. And I think they're kind of tapping into that idea that it's like junior high, right? We're just following whoever seems to be most like what we want to be like that's that's an interesting point of view because it 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 works the opposite as we often assume opinion formation to work right like i think a lot of scholars figure oh if we just show people facts then they will look at the facts and triangulate it with like their assumptions and sift through and improve their assumptions you know like in a like in a popper sense falsifying bad ideas but what you're saying is maybe it's more of a dynamic where we're just looking for the personality to trust. Like most people are operating like that. Do I trust this person? And then I'll just take whatever comes from their mouth once I feel I can trust them as an individual. Is that what you think the dynamic is? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, th- this article, I mean, first of all, I don't know if this word blap. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like a real a- thing technical term okay so it's not yeah. it's, it's completely fabricated in fact it was right. randomly assigned like the geometric shapes <laughs> yeah. that they had to identify i think it was uh, there was like a, a re- it was randomly determined to be a blap or not just to ensure yeah. there was no skill involved <laughs> sorry go on yeah yeah i mean so i mean i find that hysterical right they, they yeah. just like made up this word blaps and then you it's a blap or it's not a blap i mean so that that just made me think of like you know junior high it's like it's they're cool or they're not cool and you know i mean you know when you're overwhelmed with information and i, I guess you know people kind of look to 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 trust what they want to be like or what they like mm-hmm. um i don't know i mean i i think there's a lot of uh a research out there in public health would suggest that, you know, you can tell people don't smoke. You can show them pictures. You can, you know, Mm. and most, most people like this study showing most people, you know, they'll like, listen, they'll, they will follow what is rational, but I still think there's a good subset of people that are going to do what they're going to do. 
Yeah. And, and or that will actually, you know, find out on their own uh, and decide what's the right way to go, uh, even if their doctor starts giving them advice about what, uh, you know, perfume to buy or something, you know, right. unrelated to your health. You know, what that reminds me of is I recently saw an article on Vox that was talking about how people are not necessarily getting more flu, uh, not flu measles vaccines, even though there's like an epidemic breaking out. The determinative factor that seems to be raising the rates is just when people are being forced to when we're like, you can't send your kids to school without vaccines. Yeah. Now You have to pay $2,000 to walk into this public space. Yeah. And, and it's like, wow, people are very resistant to new information, almost stubbornly so. It's almost like our, our understanding of our audience is completely off. You know, our audiences don't, our non-academic audiences don't think the way we think they think. I mean, at the same time, we have all these influencers, right? And like people who are being paid just to look a certain way and then um, and then that promotes the product, right? So I think, yeah, I think you're right. There's a disconnect between uh, the way we hope information is taken in as academics and the way that uh, money is made with information. And that kind of ties into all the topics that we just talked about, <laughs> yeah. right? And why like academic books are good <laughs> and should be out there, even if they don't make money. You've been listening to The Annex, an academic sociology podcast. You can visit our show site at sociocast.org slash annex. We are on Twitter at Sociannex and on Facebook, The Annex Sociology Podcast. Our producer is Laseth Moreno. Music by Lena Orsa. I'm Joseph Cohen. Thank you for listening. Thank you.